Welcome to Spoilers Intended, a podcast about series, novels, and films. For this episode, Amazon took a story, quite dilatory, and set to quarry. In a fit of vainglory, they made it gory, with sex mandatory, just to steal Thrones repertory. That's right, we're talking Wheel of Time. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Stephen Ford, joined as always by Andrew Knuckles. Hey, how's it going? And Joel Killingsworth. Hello. Hello, indeed. So guys, to kick us off before we dig into the meat and or potatoes as you choose to view it of Wheel of Time, we are going to do a little talk suggested by one of our listeners, Matthew Carey, on our Discord. That's right. If you would like to hear us possibly talk about something that you would like to hear us talk about. Or explanations of why we gave scores certain things beyond what's in the actual podcast. Oh, I don't know if you need to encourage that one, but... Discussion happens. The Discussion does happen. Uh, you can go to our Discord. Links are in the description. So, on to the actual topic. Uh, Matthew wanted us to discuss, based off of Andrew's love of contact, uh, first contact media. So, for us... What movie about first contact? We're talking uh, alien media. life. Yeah. Or sorry, I said movie. Media yeah. about alien life. So we're talking books, films, TV, whatever we whatever we wanted to choose. Hence Andrew's specification of media. Mm -hmm. uh, and what is our favorite? So I'm gonna let Andrew kick oh, it off. Oh no! Don't don't make me start. I have probably the most serious one out of okay. here. So you guys get to have all. See, the that, fun was, that first. was the hard part. Was I don't. Okay, you know what? We'll start with sort of serious, and then we'll just descend from there. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna start. You're gonna start. I'm gonna start. Okay. It took itself seriously, at least. <laughs> so for me, the epitome of what first contact will look like is Independence Day. I knew it was coming. I mean, yeah, you should have, but. <laughs> They're not friendly, right? There, there's, there are a lot of first contacts that are either will they be friendly, won't they be friendly? And there's a little bit in this of and, well, and, we, or they're benevolent, or you know, yeah, or or they're just it's a bacteria or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that, and it's, it could be a very deadly bacteria. There's a lot of that as well. Mm -hmm. Which uh, that's actually a, a real concern. Like if you have beings from another planet come oh, yeah. to your, you know, yeah. anyways, an actual problem that can yeah. happen, right? Uh, but I mean, Independence Day, it, it takes a fairly serious subject matter, the extermination of the human race for its resources and brings a certain levity to it and a very high level of entertainment. This is peak Will Smith. Yeah. Mid Will, Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum. like, yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, it, uh, who played the president, um, Bill Pullman. Bill, yeah. yeah Pullman. He was fantastic as president. I mean, he's, uh, oh no, he's discount, uh. Shoot, not Harrison Ford. He's discount something or that. I can't remember it now. <laughs> or maybe wow, somebody else's so discount rude. Bill Pullman. I, but he's good. He's really he's, good. He's he, great. And yeah. he's great as the president. He gets his, that, his speech. speech at the yeah. end. Yeah. Uh, of Randy Quaid uh, playing Randy Quaid. Yep. He, they didn't give him lines. That's just, they, he actually thought he was killing aliens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He's nuts. Anyways. Did you ever, did you ever see him in the. I don't, I don't remember if it, no, uh, Leprechauns. I think it aired on sci-fi maybe. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but no. That, yeah. that is a movie that I, I was traumatized as a kid <laughs> whenever, when I, I was at like some friend's house and then they had it on and I could not sleep for a week. Wow. Wow. And I know it's a terrible film. It is. Absolutely. But he, that's no, I'm thinking trolls. Never mind. Not Leprechaun. Yeah. I, I don't know what that one is, but, um, well, I'm thinking trolls. Leprechaun or maybe Leprechaun 2 had a very young Jennifer Aniston in it. 
And she's always been really upset because once she became a big star, a big name, you know, when they make a reproduction, when they make a production run and now they put starring Jennifer Aniston, like she's on the cover of it now. And (laughs) there's nothing you can do about it. She's in the movie. It's one of those, I think. Yeah, but Leprechaun is the only film that I've ever seen that Randy Quaid like led in. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Okay. So so back to Independence Day. Day. Back back to the plot. Uh, You know, it's, it's a summer blockbuster, you know feel good, has its, has its high moments. You know, we, Bill Pullman is president. He gets his big speech. It hits all the marks you want out of a movie while kind of handling a, a, what could be a really serious subject of, you know, first, how do we actually respond to this? And for most of the movie, the response is pretty poor. <laughs> most of the response is luck. No, most of the response is death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly. Uh, but yeah, and, and it's, it's just really well done overall is, is, they they made good use of their budget. They have really good effects that still hold up pretty well for what was going on on screen yeah. at the time. Yeah. And it is, I don't think that it was a trope utilizer so much as a kind of a trope genre definer it, in it, a lot of ways. It, it definitely molded a lot of video games and stuff like oh, that, yeah. that kind of happened, especially uh, there's a whole level in Star Fox 64. 64. I knew it. Where yeah. you uh, where you have to go and destroy just one of the UFO saucers. Well, the, 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 that the slow hover over the target, yep. then it becomes vulnerable right before the shot. Like that, you see that in a lot of games mm-hmm. now. So anyways, I'm going to push it off now over to Joel for a very serious response to right, extremely, mine. Extremely serious. So we're going straight into Star Trek parodies. And <laughs> baseballs? we're talking that about Star Wars. Star Wars it's also not first contact related, but anyways. <laughs> So we're going to talk about Galaxy Quest. So Galaxy Quest uh, stars Sigourney Weaver and uh, Tim Tim Allen, Allen Allen Rickman. And it it also has um, uh, Dwight Schrute's actor. Yeah. From the the American run of The Office. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He plays one of the aliens. So anyway, there's there's these uh, washed up actors that essentially in their heyday played on Star Trek. It's, it's called galaxy quest in in the show, but, and the aliens, these, these aliens have been watching the show and they think that they are, uh, it's a documentary as opposed to being (laughs) fiction. And so when they are in trouble, they come to earth and collect these actors thinking that they are collecting the crew of this intrepid starship. And they have, they have, in order to get them to help them, they have recreated the starship from the show because they are technologically advanced. They're just not capable of fighting. Yeah. Right. And so they, they need these heroes to come and they give them all of this equipment. And so now they have to do the things that they were pretending to do in the show. And it's an absolute riot. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's really a great movie. I I can say, I think I've only seen it maybe once or twice um, in my youth. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I mean, because I'd never seen Star Trek growing up. I just, I just never kind of grew up with it. Yeah, I still, I mean, I still found it really entertaining, uh, just because. I mean, Sigourney Weaver's always fun, and Tim Allen was, you know, popular at the time. I mean, this was this was peak Tim Allen. Yeah, this was height of his. And, and Alan Rickman's in it. I mean, you can't. Yeah, and if and if you uh, don't like, oh, and Tony Belushi as mm. well. Uh, and if you don't really like Star Trek or whatever, it doesn't pull on direct references so much as like just the trope, trope references. Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't have to know the specific episode this was brought from. So it's it's pretty it's pretty universally generic. accessible. Yeah, yeah. Well, Andrew just proved that he didn't watch any Star yeah. Trek. He still like. Oh yeah, it. no, it's still fun. Yeah, I mean, it's not a movie that I like go and seek out, but <laughs> you know, it's whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good. It's yeah. well done. Yeah. So on to a lighter note, Andrew. <laughs> so um, I'm. 
the one of the only one, I'm the only one that did not go with a movie or a TV show. I chose a book. Uh, and I, I've actually mentioned this book on the podcast, um, I think, when we were doing, um, we are pitching stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and con- I, I chose Contact, and that is not this one. Uh, this but that is, did lead to this topic. Yes. Uh, this is Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke. It's a book, uh, and it will hopefully eventually be a movie. Um, with Denis Villeneuve. Right? Yeah, uh, as director. And this is kind of a story about it's sometime in the future, I think like 2070-ish, I think is is around the time period of when so it's not, happening. not far future. Not super far future. Yeah. Like there are still, it's very much um, space travel is very localized to like only around Mars. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's about as far as, you know, stuff kind of goes out. And this object enters the solar system at a very, very high speed, but basically the orbit that it's coming through, it is going to pass by this crew that is just kind of out like doing patrols or whatever around mm-hmm. the that section of the solar system. And as it gets closer, they kind of notice that it is um, basically not like, it's not, an or, it's not an organic form, like it's not a rock. Mm-hmm. It's a cylinder, like a really big cylinder. And... So it's kind of coming through and they only have this like a, a very short period of time before like it gets too close to the sun and they'd have to abandon it because it would get too hot. And then they'd be on the other side of the solar system, basically, and never be able to get back to Earth. And so the whole book is them basically intercepting this cylinder and then they kind of like dock with it and then they kind of see, hey, there's like a door to this thing. Mm-hmm. And they open it up, and it's this massive um, environment is the best way to describe it, where you can you could see from one end of the cylinder all the way to the other end. And it's like 15 to 20 kilometers long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it has its own weather system, environment, all this other kind of stuff. And when they're exploring it, it's just them. There's no, you haven't seen, like there's no indication of life on this cylinder. and um, you know, kind of they're they're going through it and the and like as it's as they're getting closer to the sun because it is warming up, mm-hmm. all of these systems and stuff are kind of turning on. Mm-hmm. And it's all coming to life. Yeah, everything's kind of like coming to life and they're they're exploring and, and kind of like noticing things about this as as is all this is kind of happening. And it's a relatively short book. It's probably only maybe four hundred pages long. But the, and I'm not going to reveal, obviously, all the stuff that kind of happens in the book, right. but it is a fantastic kind of exploration of what it would probably be like to to experience a, uh, basically, a generational ship mm-hmm. is kind of what, what this is. Mm-hmm. And the kind of mysteries that kind of go about it, because there's no one on it. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, what happened? So clearly the generational ship didn't work, or maybe it did, you don't know. and it's um it's very based in in realistic sci-fi it's, you know Arthur C Clarke so it's hard sci-fi mm-hmm. is about as close as you can get mm-hmm. and uh, just some of the just some of the concepts and everything like that that you get out of it is just really fun mm-hmm. uh and it's and it's it's not a quotation marks fun book it's there's no action in it there's no you know comedy really it it's is just science yeah it's really <laughs> just just a science team that's just 
happened to be in the area that's exploring this thing with just the tools that they have available on their ship. Yeah, just kind right. of kind of bare bones the core yeah. of the concept of science fiction. Here is a thing. Let's talk about said thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's just a great book. It's one of my. It, it is my favorite book of all time. Like mm. it just I've I've read it yeah. probably. 10, 15 times now. I have like four different copies around the house. It just kind of exists. So, yeah. yeah. I'd be very intrigued to see it adapted to uh, big screen. Yeah. It, well, and I think it actually would translate pretty well into a movie. Well, it's going to have a very high, like a high tension because you yeah. don't know what's around yeah. the next corner. A lot of shepherd tones. Oh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, so that's right. mine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I think we, we covered that pretty well. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to plow forward into the Wheel of Time. So, Joel, you want to give us a little synopsis on, this is season one of Wheel of Time on Amazon. You want to give us a little synopsis of uh, what season one encompasses? So, season one does a lot of setup of the world, right? Because this, right. Is, this is secondary world fantasy. And the, the idea in this world is that magic exists and only women can can use the magic safely. If men use the magic, then they go mad because right. that, that part of the magic is broken. And so there is a prophecy of the, the most powerful magic user ever is going to be reborn. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, cause they kind of have a, a reincarnation cycle kind of, kind but of the, deal to the, the world. The whole point it's of wheel. the wheel of time is right. that it's, it's a very it's Buddhist, a, Buddhist, yeah, Buddhist rebirth. And it's a wheel. Yeah. So it, it, <laughs> it rotates. It, it just it, kind of it goes around. Yeah, goes yeah. around. What yeah. goes around comes around, and uh-huh. it keeps going around. Yep, weaving as it wills. Yep, and <laughs> uh, and so this um, and this magic user that is going to be reborn is either prophesied to destroy the world mm-hmm. or to save it from the the the, the bad guy, the dark, the forces of darkness. Right? right, and so it's all about trying to find this person and control them. Because you need to control that outcome. Right. Yeah. Because there are possible bad. There's a lot of power at stake here. And a lot, yeah. a and lot so, of bad things. Can so happen. like like the people that have power, political power, magical power, they're the large actors at work. And then it's also the story of the small actors that get caught up in their machinations. In the grinding of these large political wheels. Yep. You will. Yep. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I guess on that note, let's, uh, let's hear a composite score. So this is our... Rating of this season one show, and we'll go into the breakdown uh, once we get into spoiler land, exactly how we generate this. But for easy listening reference, the, there are four primary elements that we are looking at. and that is pillars of reviewing knowledge. There we go. The, the spectacle of the show, <laughs> the performance of the cast, cast, and the score, so the music, and then finally the plot. So those are the four things that we are waiting and considering in this score. So Joel, what is our uh, composite out of 10? Out of 10, right. So I'm going to preface this with Uh-oh. the fact, <laughs> caveat, <laughs> that I have been looking forward to this immensely. Same. It, it came out on my birthday. I was very excited. Wheel of Time, the book series, was pivotally important to my developing understanding of literature. Yeah, I, for, for everyone who's listening who may not be familiar with the book series, this is 15 books. Mm-hmm. 14 books that are in the actual main and a prequel uh, released over the course of 25 years-ish, Ish, thereabouts. Yeah. I mean, up to the point where the author died while writing it and it was finished by another author, basically. And I had never heard of Wheel of Time until I met Steven. So, I'm a big fan of it, by so, the way. 
Stephen and I, at least, huge fans. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, re- and I've, so, well, go ahead. And so, when I say that we gave this show a five point eight out of ten, you understand how angry I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't even say that the score is directly related to all the things that they actually changed. I just don't think it was a very good. It show. was. It was not well done. And as we're going to get into, there are some. There are some redeeming factors, factors. in oh. there. And in addition to that, there are some like shooting happened during COVID mm-hmm. and there had to be reshoots during COVID. There was pressures on the production timeline. So there they, is, they lost, uh, they lost cast yeah, during it too. Mm-hmm. There, and we know that they are slated to do a season two that has been confirmed. Amazon is footing the bill I mean, for season they're two. They're already in shooting. So yeah. the fact that they won't have those external pressures for season two makes me hopeful that we can maybe bump this up a little bit in the future. It would be nice. Yeah. I, would, I would like it, to it be is, able to say that. It is a mu- it's much easier to elevate it from what it is now than take, being, you know, a perfect season and then going to the next one. You're just like, Ooh, I right. don't know about that. And it's, it's hard to I mean, look at a whole season and talk about, you know, everything in terms of specifics. But without yeah. going into spoilers, what would you pick out as the key problems? Uh, pacing would be for me. Uh, I, I had a lot of problems with the middle section of the show mm-hmm. and the first episode. The first episode was very slow, but I understand you got a world build and that I mean, kind you of stuff. stuff up, yeah. But the, the middle section of the show felt like it was just kind of treading water because they, they may have, they may have shot those and, and storyboarded a lot of those out and written them with the idea that they were going to hopefully get more episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the, then the production company was like, actually, you're not going to get that, that many episodes. And you're like, Oh, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my, my big thing. Yeah. For me, it's, it fell in this weird gray land of, this is very obviously not a very faithful adaptation. It is also struggling to be good in its own right. Mm-hmm. Like it, there are changes that have to happen when you go from writing to film or from film to writing. They're just some things you cannot do in that media that has to change. Yeah, it, it doesn't translate. It just won't work. Or yeah. some things work better. Mm-hmm. And you have to you have to lean into those things. But it, it also fouls itself on its own internal logic. Like you can change stuff and that's fine, but you have to mm-hmm. be faithful to what you're changing and stick with that logic and not fall back on, say, a existing storyline that relied upon logic you ignored mm-hmm. or, yeah. or those kind of potentials. So there's, there's a lot of concern in that, not just, you know, hopefully... Again, a 5.8, mm-hmm. that that has a lot of room to grow. Yes, that still has a lot of floor beneath it to fall. <laughs> it is technically <laughs> higher than 50%. So there is 50% more that it could fall before <laughs> having absolutely no choice but to go up. Right, yeah. I mean, it's 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 in a middle zone, which is not particularly great. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know. it. The pacing, like I, I can agree with Andrew on the pacing. It's weird. And it just didn't, you know, this is this is a thing I read, right? I read as as a young adult, basically a child, really going into being a young adult. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a formative book series, right? And in in many of the same ways that Lord of the Rings was, right? Mm-hmm. And when Lord of the Rings hit, Lord of the Rings was wondrous, right? Seeing these places realized in film was incredible. Seeing the vision of it, I never got that in the show where I saw something and it was just. You're like, ooh, yeah, there yeah. it is. And it wasn't even like, oh, this perfectly is what I imagined. It's just, oh, that is stunning. Like, because when you see uh, Gondor in Lord of the Rings, it's not maybe perfectly what I 
got out of the description, yeah. right? But it it's still oh wow that is a thing, mm-hmm. and that is definitely Gondor. Yeah, that like, is like there is no passing this off as New York City. It yeah. is Gondor. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, Joel, how about you? You, you mentioned you were angry. So. Yes. So a lot of it has to do with the the liberties that they have taken with changing underlying world building elements, mm-hmm. right? Like the core values. Well, it's not it's even, not the, it's not the core values. It's the fact that if, if you change a character, okay. So when, when you're, when you're translating from book to show, it's not quite as jarring as when you have to change from a, a book to a film. Cause in a film, you have, everything has to be very, very condensed in a mm. show. You still have to condense not quite as much, but you have more time, but you still see things like combining characters, eliminating subplots, right doing these kinds of things to just just trim and still get the the core of what made the book great, right? And, and they make sense. It makes sense to do these yeah. types of things. But when you start saying, no, 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 we're, we're going to go deeper than that. We're going to change core rule build, uh, world building elements and rules to how the magic works, how the, the different political bodies relate to one another. Then the individual plots for all the characters have to be tweaked to match the new norm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they stop making sense. Right. And there's already a significant amount of that in the first season. And the problem with making that kind of change, if you don't course correct adeptly, is the longer you go, the worse it gets. Well, it's the it's a, a Exxon Valdez or Titanic issue, right? It's so long. There's so much in front of you, right? 14 books mm-hmm. that changing some stuff in on page 60 of book one has it maybe it's not a big change in that so moment. It's a ripple it has, effect has a lot of time yeah. to to propagate out there and be you hit book ten and hey, this character shouldn't be here or this shouldn't work this way. There's a lot of concerns there with how are they going how are they going to support that over long term writing. Right. And so that's that's probably my my biggest frustration is that they introduced things that seem unnecessary on mm-hmm. the forefront and and introduce nothing but problems. Okay. All right. Well, that feels like a, a pretty good little breakdown there. Yep. So we're going to move on to the intermission, but as we head into this intermission, this is your opportunity to avoid the madness of spoilers. Before you go, if you liked what you heard, you can support us at patreon.com slash spoilers intended podcast. If you're ready to stick around though, for the spoilers, then hang on because the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Alrighty, well, on that note, we are now beyond the intermission. We are firmly into spoiler territory. Are we in the blight? This this could very well be the blight, or the, uh, are the, the trees ILA trying to spoiler grab you and build you into the monster? Oh man, you just you just rotten reminded me of a whole fruit. other issue that happened in episode eight. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, episode eight before had we, a lot of b- problems. Before we get to the plot, because there are issues, right? Let's, let's basically you you almost have to split it up into two sections, right? You have episodes one through six. And then you have seven and, and eight. Seven and then you have seven and eight, which is where all of the production problems came into play. Right. Not being able to shoot through COVID, having to do reshoots in separate locations, uh, having to scrunch down because you, the showrunner didn't get the two extra episodes that and, he wanted. And having lost Matt's original actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they say he was fired, but I think that because of the COVID delays and that kind of stuff, I think there's a lot of other issues with their... There's, there's it's been, unclear. Yeah, there's yeah. been speculation, but nothing's been confirmed by anyone who's in a position to know. Yeah. So there's no way for us to know, basically. Correct. Yeah. 
so anyways, we're going to move into the first piece of our metric, which is spectacle. Mm-hmm. So for everyone at home, spectacle is the effects, the overall scope, the scale, the feel, the emotion of the story. How does it, how does it hit? And how do they make it hit, right? And and like a lot of the visuals too, because that plays yeah, into all, it. Yeah, effects, mm-hmm. visuals, especially here, right? Because they're they're very reliant on on visuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm gonna kick it over to any mini mini mo. I pick a Joel. <laughs> uh, so I gave it a five on Ooh, spectacle. On five, five out of ten. <laughs> this is unfortunately a high note. And <laughs> that's not how it only goes we, down we, from here. No, that's not true. We hit a five point eight. This is this is below at, this is below the score. Uh, it's all Joel's fault. It, it, totally Joel's fault. If <laughs> if it if I wasn't in here, it would have been lower. Anyway, it would have been lower. So I gave it a five on spectacle, and he's the angry one. There were a lot of problems. So the the two biggest glaring problems to me in, in the visuals and trying to create a visual environment that pulls you in was first off the, the costuming, the costume design was actually pretty good. good. It was very good. It, it, it definitely didn't feel like medieval Europe. It didn't feel like modern day Western culture. It was, it was a different, unique kind of clothing. It definitely looked like something you wouldn't, see here like in yeah and and it, and it was consistent right yeah. like they 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 made it in feel like a world where people dress this certain way that's great and then they had from different nationalities they had some variations on mm-hmm. the themes and stuff like that so that was great but all of the clothing looked brand new and clean and with vibrant colors like it had never been worn before and it was it was so jarring it felt like a a production with a budget a tenth of what this production budget was. It felt like a Ren Fair. It, yeah. it felt, uh, Rand felt, instead of like a sheep herder, he felt like he just came out of um, a, a department store <laughs> on Times Square in New York because he has like the new hot No, he's in a Macy's ad. He's, thing, he's, yeah. he's the model. I mean, he's, you know, he's got the, the, the he, size he, and the, the smolder. Yeah, he, he's yeah, he the has the, he has the urban shepherd look. <laughs> that has the that yes. has the 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 sewn together sheepskin yeah that has no wear at all oh yeah no his his big jacket cloak thing that is like eight hundred dollars from a designer line <laughs> and it's never it's never been scuffed you know it's it's one of those one of those items where you just kind of look at it and you're like yeah okay he, he did not feel like he herded sheep all day he looked like he was at a red fair. Yeah. And then, and then to go further, like the set design, and I'm, t- I'm talking like the large scale set design mm-hmm. where you're looking at the different cities that they go to and you're looking at the, the layout of Emmons Field. You're looking at the layout of Tarvalin. You're looking at Faldara, the fortress city. Mm-hmm. All of those designs were really cool and very well realized, especially Emmons Field, where they essentially just built an entire village just to burn it down. Right, like that's where a lot of money went in the early season. Yeah. Well, so I I would argue though that the the set design for um the the fortress city just felt like it was Castle Grayskull from her um He Man. Well, it, it was being, just it like being this on castle the in the middle of like nothing. <laughs> so so there is there is a part where I I actually kind of chuckled to myself where they do the first big establishing shot of Faldara. Yeah. And on its its left uh, screen right side, it has one of these points that you see in old Italian star fortresses. Yeah. So they're, they're made to, they're the early uh, reaction of where we still build castles, but now there's gunpowder and we have to stop cannonballs. Yeah. And it had one of those points 
and no other part of it had another one of those points. So it was like, if this exists for a specific defensive measure, the other four points of the castle are undefended. <laughs> and if it, if it doesn't exist for a defensive measure, why is it way out here? It, it was so jarring in terms of, because they did, they did a good job of blending styles of clothing mm-hmm. where you could kind of see how, based on the lore from the breaking, how cultures have been uh, intersected and, and mixed mm-hmm. over time and these pieces have traveled through. And then I hit something like that and like, but who, why, why is that here? <laughs> this is the problem that you have whenever you are a, a relatively decent intermediate to advanced expert for historical fortresses and war. <laughs> oh man, like any, I'm not anything anytime, remotely like that. Anytime that you are an expert on any sort of subject matter, you cannot watch or consume media touching uh, on that topic that, ever again because uh, people just get details wrong if they're not an expert at the level yeah, that you are, Yeah, because you're right? just like, that's not how it works. Right, like, like, uh, so my, as a profession, I'm an electrical engineer and I <laughs> work for a power company. So anytime that there's like terrorist hijacking the electric grid <laughs> or whatever in a chaos. show, uh, I just have to be like, okay, I'm going to come back when this part of the movie is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so what's funny though is, is they have a moment uh, when Matt and Rand are with Tom and they're going to the, that farm. Yeah. And the, the farmer, you know, draws his bow on them. And I was watching it. I was like, what in the world is this dude doing with the bow? And I don't, I don't know much about bow and arrow. Like just straight up. I am not. Was in, this the in, guy that had it like just yeah, in his fist? And, and, yeah. then the, and then they called it like, uh, Rand called him out on it. And I was like, yeah, that's right. You call him out on that. And then like later on, they show Rand practicing the bow. And it's like, oh, what is he doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But in addition to that, like they had difficulty uh, blocking out their action sequences to where you understood, oh. like particularly the most egregious problem is in the battle in episode three, three, no, so three. where, where they're no, fighting in the woods yeah. to defend the cave where low gain is being held mm-hmm. and his, his followers are coming to get, you have no idea where they are during the battle, how close to the, the cave they are what sort of tactical decisions anyone is making is just a bunch of shaky cam following people running through the woods. So, so they, I guarantee you what, sorry, Steven, no, you're good. I guarantee you what happened was they were shooting the camp section and then they had like the set where they had low gain and everything. And then they're like one of their stage or one of their, their production guys were like, Hey, there's a really cool forest <laughs> over here. We need to go over there and shoot this. This, this battle hill thing. is perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, my, my, so I, I'll actually give that scene a pass. Because it is a sudden surprise attack, there is a lot of chaos and confusion. Like, like the, the Aes Sedai, for as powerful as they are, they don't necessarily mount a cohesive defense. They don't have the, the opportunity to do mm-hmm. so. It's not expected. Uh, they, they, I guess, assume they have more warning from Curran's wards. Yeah. Uh, it's a little insulting because there's a whole lot of warders who are kind of like the pinnacle of warfare for them to not have a proper, like, you know. Defensive screen. Yeah, yeah. something set up because they know this could happen. But I'll give that a pass. Like shaky camera is acceptable when you have a character because you were mostly seeing us kind of from uh, Nineveh's yeah Nineveh Nineveh how do you say her name perspective they, they literally said her name I don't every care. episode don't. for the entire show I don't care but every you just watched. single episode Nineveh what are you doing Nineveh you need to stop talking <laughs> <laughs> anyways um, all, all of that it. and we still only got one braid tug I know, I know. I'm so <laughs> disappointed in them actually anyways. Uh, but it's it's mostly from her perspective, and you know she hasn't really. I mean, she's had the the horror uh, that was Amon's field, mm-hmm. but she hasn't really Emmons experienced field? Emmons field. Whatever. Oh my <laughs> gosh! They say these names in the show. 
I'm not going to respect them for it either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, right. she's had that horror, but she hasn't really experienced battle. So right. you're kind of getting it from her perspective. So it is kind of the, the horror and the chaos of it. So I can kind of let that slide a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I do think at the, the final battle of the season, they also deserve to be dinged oh, because one, the setup, the, just the, the whole scene, everything about that setup looks dumb. Everything about it looks dumb. And then the way that it is actually done and shot as they're being like charged by the Trollocs and stuff is just, what are y'all doing? What, what are y'all doing? They, they had like, they had the whole World War Z moment. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted to do Helm's Deep and then they had to do World War Z to get up the wall. And like they had, oh gosh, we're back to the fortification thing. Agamar <laughs> shooting out of an arrow slit that, that narrows like arrow slits are supposed to do. And then it widens out into a window. When you look at the wall, it's a whole freaking square it's a huge one like the trolley can almost fit into it mm-hmm. to do yeah. like, what who designed and, this and, and, and why for for clarification the reason why on the inside it fans out is so the archer can can, can get multiple angles can different yeah, angles yeah. you don't do that on the outside because then things that are coming in will just funnel get funneled in the it, it, it funnels it to the center where you're where presumably you are yeah and lauren too because she was you know, she lived in Germany. She'd been in Castle. She's like, why are, why are the windows like that? Yeah. I don't have an answer. Okay, so I'm just going to interject here. Go for it. Um, I'm going to go with my score because we have to. Okay. We gave it, a, I gave it a five. Joel gave it a five. Yeah. So we're, 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 oh, we're 50% right now. Okay. And we have to say things that are actually like that did work. Like we can't just knock it the entire, you know, hour. Oh, but you're just you're just podcast. making me think of something else that didn't work. Well, that's, that's <laughs> fine. So, pretty most of my my critiques have already kind of been said. Mm. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the clothing stuff for you, Stephen, because you, you I have brought to say it something up. nice. No, no. Okay, so my the thing that I did like about the show the the big sweeping shots of them whenever they're first traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Emmons Field into uh, trying to get to like Tarvalon or T- Tarvalon or Shadar or whatever. Yeah, ignore changes. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and the, back back to like the the city design stuff. Like every location had a very different look. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah. It, like the set design was actually really good. Mm-hmm. And I actually really enjoyed the Trolloc design. I don't like the the um, execution. Of was, their graphics. And early on, it, was, it wasn't it was bad. There was a little bit of Uncanny Valley in the way they moved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the textures were all really, really good. Yeah. And, and then it just fell apart in the final episode. Yeah. Because like the, the trial, like initially, I, I guess whenever I was reading the book, I never really understood. Like I thought trollocs were more comical looking than i guess what they are well in in the books they mention that they are not homogenous at all like they're cobbled together bits of a bunch of different type of animals yeah. mm-hmm. where some of them have hooves some of them have feet some of them have beaks some of them have snouts some of them have horns some of them have feathers some of them have yeah. fur like it's it's a bunch of different stuff and they really just kind of took one design and then copy and just, copy and pasted into yeah. an army that, I mean that, so that kind of works from a lore perspective so one, I mean, they they are abominations of science. Ultimately, that's what that's what they're made out of. Uh-huh. Uh, so them looking as horrifying as they did in the show, like a an actor in the full outfit standing still, they look they look pretty good. That's, yeah, pretty that's a scary beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the the idea that they're homogenous in those scenes, whether or not that's a decision they make throughout, it does work because if I remember right, in the lore, there are, there are different um, there are different uh, batches. Yeah, there are different fists. Yeah, fists mm-hmm. of trolls. So different 
units, companies, whatever you want to call yeah, them, but they call them fists. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, were all, that were all created together. They're basically from a batch. Yeah. 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 So it would make so sense they're like this. Uruk-hai. Sort yeah, of Lord of the Rings. Sort of. No, they, they are actually yeah. very much so. Uh, okay, so you, you can go, Stephen. You can say it. something nice. All right, well, well <laughs> so we're going to come from Joel's five and Andrew's five, and it's my job to say something nice. So for my spectacle, I gave them a four. <laughs> yep. We're off to a great start. Oh, something nice? I, I only have one thing left that y'all haven't covered, and it's big, bold words that says no stakes. Um, you can't kill someone and then bring them right back oh, to no, life. No, that that's, is, that's, that's plot. That is plot, that's plot. Sir, you you it, get that stuff are out of here. All right, all right, fine. I have uh, one more negative thing some, to say. No, no, I, hold on. I, do, you, do you want? I can I pitch has, it at you. I'm tasked with something nice. Hold on, I, just, I have another negative thing. To no, say stop! Well. I'm supposed to say something nice. <laughs> Let me say something nice. Rack your brain. Dragon Mount was cool. I liked seeing that. Dragon Mount I, was cool. No, actually, you know what? I, I'll give him. I'll give him props. And this is a adapting a book to a. Uh, visual media, mm-hmm. films, book, TV series, whatever. Uh, the representations of the male channeler's madness was well done. Yes. The way yeah. they did it in, I think, the first episode where they show the the red Aja uh, track him down. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to someone who isn't there. The way yeah. they did it for Loghain was good. I I think that was somewhere where they used the new tools available to them mm-hmm. to really expand and make something where it was like, and you know what? I, I said it earlier that there was no moment where I was like, oh yeah. And that was actually a moment where I was like, okay, cool. They they got that mm-hmm. better than you could do describing it in a book. So props. I did it. There, I found something positive. <laughs> okay, so we're just going to go back to me now and then back to Joel. And then back to you. And then, <laughs> and then back, back to, to me. <laughs> Look at me. So, I'm on a horse. I, I, <laughs> wow, that is an old, old <laughs> meme. Uh, so one of the things that, that just made me laugh every single episode was that the so like in in the books the Aes Sedai are kind of like like most of the world doesn't like the Aes Sedai mm-hmm. like in they, the books, yeah. in the books well they're they're at minimum even people who welcome them into their homes they are still, still do not trust cautious them. around yeah. them yeah. yeah so you have you know in the books like they kind of like try and blend in and they try and you know oh, yes. not say oh, yes. hey i'm an Aes Sedai. in the show they're just walking around like power rangers <laughs> i'm so glad that yeah. you used that line guy that was it, when they first go into the encampment with Logan, it's like is everyone only wearing their they are you're yellow you're red you're what are you doing now i I'm actually inclined to give that a big a big pass because it's a large part, party of just them. Part of the I mean, I'm I'm not even talking from the lore perspective. I'm talking oh. about the limitations of the medium being used, in that you have to clearly depict the political, you oh, know, affiliation. affiliations well, that are going but, on with a large cast of characters that you have to blow through very very quickly. But that so so counterpoints one the book provides you that in their shawls. They, they don't really don't, wear their shawls outside of the they tower, They don't though. wear them a lot, but they do wear them around each other when they're being kind of politically prickly. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you an opportunity with them when they have a common goal, capture Loghain, a mission that they can all work together. And then when they go back to the tower and you're like, oh, well, maybe these people are friends. And then, you know, they come into the, the hall of the seat and she's blue, she's red, she's green. And none of these people actually, they, they will work together for that moment. But ultimately, they're going to scheme against one of them. Yeah. So I and think so you had the opportunity to do that you, twist. You, you do, but like at the same time, how much time 
do you give that it. and and not give your viewer whiplash on wait a minute so like what aja is this one now i'm I mean, not sure what's well, but they also did it with the rings too and and this is really hard to see on screen though no no th- it is but it was also a, a one of those threads where you're messing something up further down people stop so it, it's definitely uh that kind of thing where like you you kind of like glaze over if there's just too many characters kind of being thrown at you right. all at the same time and the expanse does not a very good job at that uh, with for the tv show just because they introduce a lot of characters and a lot of them all kind of sound the same sometimes mm-hmm. or they may look the same and that kind of stuff and it's it's hard for a viewer that is uninitiated with like that's very familiar with the books or that is like really in tune with the show to keep pace with everything that's kind of happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but like stuff like color coding your characters <laughs> allows you to bypass a lot of that because it, does, it, yeah. it just kind of ties well, in. Well, to... And it also tells you, it almost immediately tells you their kind of personality too. Yeah. Red Aja, they're probably bad or they're at least mean. Yeah. Well, they don't like men. They're not necessarily mean. They're, some of them are, are pretty decent. I don't know. Leandrid's pretty mean. No, Leandrid. So we'll get into this in the next piece of this. Leandrid's great. Uh, but also to to your point about color coding, so you can just tell mm-hmm. the book also provided this because even when they are out, they do tend to favor their own colors, and so you'll have like a gray writing dress slashed with blue, or like they have subtle, mm-hmm. they have subtle pieces where they wear a normal a nice dress because they mostly pass off as nobility, because I mean that's essentially what they end up being by becoming Aes Sedai, but they'll have pieces in there maybe a sash, maybe something else where they can co- still kind of subtly state who they are without it with, just being power just rangers. Be, yeah. <laughs> I am yellow head to toe. How could Iman Valda ever know that I could be an Aes Sedai in the wild? How could he have not, how could she not see you from a mile away? So let's take an opportunity to say something else nice. And that was the depiction of the children of the light was fantastic. Oh, the, but the cold, phenomenal. the cold open that introduced the character of Iman Valda where he's he's just burning an ice eye at the stake and mm-hmm. having breakfast <laughs> is is fantastic. So I nailed so, it. Well, since we're already kind of talking about characters, let's just go ahead and move to well, performance. Let's go ahead and move yeah. to performance. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, I let Joel start it. I'm not going to let him start it this time. I'll let Andrew get his first shot in. All right. Um, I actually gave performance a seven. I okay. felt that time to the, say something nice. <laughs> well, no, I I honestly felt that basically all the casting was pretty spot on for what they were trying to achieve. The the books, it's it's very YA, at least at the beginning. I've only read the first book and a half, basically. The books are very the and books could very easily be lumped into YA. It's it's not for other reasons, but it could be. And so they had to age everyone up because I feel that they were trying to attempt to kind of make the next Game of Thrones. That means they have to in, introduce a adult lot of themes. adult themes. Mm-hmm. So the you know, basically everyone had to get aged up probably about five years to really make it kind of more acceptable, mm-hmm. I guess, for lack of a better term. So I thought all the cast was actually really good for for the characters that they were playing. I, I Rand definitely fits the kind of um, uh, tar- I, I can't even remember what the name of his like um, background is. Or like his... Aeel? 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 Is that what you're trying? Is that what you're looking yeah. for? He he fits the mold. Joel's just looking at me like I'm not sure what you're talking. No, about. No, like 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 are you you're talking about the ethnic group which birthed him? Yes, the Aiel. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's what I'm <laughs> he you started out trying to say Tuathan, didn't you? 
uh, the traveling people. No, 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 no. Anyways, okay. <laughs> but like he fits that. Mm-hmm. I felt that Matt fits the same kind of a uh, Tarviran. That oh, okay. Oh, so so Taviran is another huge problem because they opened with it as a motivation for why Moraine and Lan are going to this place. Yeah. And they never explain what Taviran is. And so until the last episode, they they did say something about it in the last episode. And so when they finally do come to the point where they have to explain fully to the audience what Taviran actually is and what Taviran actually means, it's going to prove to be ridiculous that there were just random rumors of for Taviran in in the two rivers. Yeah, well, they never show a moment happen that would be considered a Taviran moment. Right, and it's, it never and it's, happens. And it's not even something that's even like book one material. Right, like no. it's it's later books that get into the concept of Taviran, and so to introduce it here, not explain it, and use it as motivation was very very sloppy. Well, it is, but some, that's that's okay. this plot no, no, stuff. No, no, we no, no, we're no, getting no, way off. We're getting way off. So, um, Rosamund Pike was a perfect meringue. Yes, flawless cast. I thought she was great. I thought uh, Lands actor Daniel Hennessy Henny Henny Daniel Henny was uh, he was he fits the bill really well. The the kind he was, of he was a little bit smaller than he's described in the book because like he's a really big imposing figure, but yeah. like. For his projection was no. really great. He, he had he, well, he had, had it he down. has the the very you know stoic mm-hmm. stone wall mm-hmm. face. Yeah. yeah, the the I, I'm going to stare at you for mm-hmm. half a day. and You're not going to learn a thing about me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Egwene and Nynaeve's characters, I, I felt fit their their kind of personalities. At least what I was expecting for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, and, and their performances were were pretty good. I, this kind of goes a little bit back into spectacle, but whenever they were whenever Moraine is having to do any of the, um, the Aes Sedai weaving and stuff, it didn't really do it for me, but I, you know, I feel kind of bad for her. They're like, all right, you just need to just kind of wail around. Yeah. The the books talk about hand motions, right? And, but this was something else. Yeah. (laughs) This was definitely full body motion. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I thought everyone did, pretty well Mm -hmm. for what you know there's a little overacting here and there but uh, you know and for what for what they were given for what they were given uh, and also i i did not write down his name but loyal's casting and um the way that they they made him look and designed him was great i thought he fit the bill pretty well i think his mannerisms were really sold i am a little disappointed that they deviated they did not give him long ears Mm -hmm. because they always talk about when humans have high emotion because they're more sensitive to it, he reacts more to it. So when they're when the infighting starts within the group, his, his ears always droop. You always get that description that his ears like it's kind of like he wilts, and he, they just didn't have that little extra bit for him. Yeah, to emote because he's I mean he's kind of buried under either prosthesis, CGI, some combination of mm-hmm. it, uh, and that maybe would have helped. But I think the way his mannerisms, the way he talked and acted, was spot on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Stephen. Oh, well, those spoke to me. So I, for performance, gave it an eight. Mm-hmm. Echo a lot of what Andrew said. I think all of the casting was, if not perfect, it was good enough yeah. to be. And again, Roseman Pike was a great casting. Uh, Daniel Henney was a great cast. They both carried it and they had to carry it because a lot of the story revolved around them. Yes. So they did a good job there. Um, I really thought they did a good job with kind of the, I don't want to call them lesser castings but the smaller the more orbiting characters around the main group 
So like Leandrin's casting, she, she was, was good. Great. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you you she, don't she, like her, right? And then you're not supposed to like her. I mean, she's got that jawline, man. Yeah, uh, I I like I really liked Alana, which is kind of hard because Alana in the books is not great. Uh, she kind of messes up a lot of stuff. Who's Alana? The the green the green that was going to bond the warder that ends up. I haven't himself. met Alana yet. I guess in the books. Not in no. the books. Okay, no. gotcha. Yeah, she she doesn't show up for later. So yeah, that was that was we'll get into that with plot. But either way. Um, Uno's casting, even though he's a really minor role here, was perfect for who he is in the books. Mm-hmm. Tom Marilyn, Tom Tom's casting was great. Uh, the the dark one, I'm just going to call him the dark one here, even though that's oh, not, I thought he was great. He was great for for the inner. So this reaches back into spectacle a little bit, but the dream interactions with the man with the burning face were terrible. That was terrible. <laughs> that was that the CGI looked awful. The way they just were, it, it, was, it was pretty bad. And then. When they finally, you know, reveal him in the flesh, so to speak, it was like, why, why was it not just him with like <laughs> smoke rising out of his, like, this was not difficult people. And he was great for that kind of the mind games that are being played. Mm-hmm. Oh, he early fits that it. bill. Oh, the, just the way he, he worked with it was great. I think he, uh, of everything going on in episode eight, he was the big savior. He, he carried, yeah. Oh yeah. He really helped him. Uh, you know, I'm really, it really hurts that, um. Matt's actor is gone because of the main five, not that like Rand really got much to work with. Perrin is good, but Perrin is always kind of a quiet character anyways. So it's just, eh. uh, Matt's actor was phenomenal at that. He really had the scoundrel down. So I'm really sad to see him go really be interested to see who they cast just because, or see how well that person does mm-hmm, just yeah. because big question mark, because he was probably one of my most liked and he's gone. Like, oh yeah. Joe, Joe, well, I gave it a nine on performance. Oh, I we thought, just went right up the scale. Yeah. Nine. I, I thought that the the whole cast did a phenomenal job with what they were given. Um, I would say probably out of the main cast, the weakest performance, in my opinion, was uh, Marcus Rutherford's Perrin. But that's probably mostly really- on the writing because yeah. they didn't give him a lot to work with, right? They They started out perhaps a little too strong with the, the killing the wife subplot trope and then Fridging. and then like, he's just internalizing pain and reeling from that for the entire season. And so he's just like not participatory. I, I think you finally get a smile out of him in episode eight. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was like, and, and really all that is, is it's, it's, it wasn't a positive performance. It was just there. Yeah. Um, but, but everywhere else across the board, I would not lay, this this composite 5.8 at all at the feet no, of the and, actors. And I think it shows, right? The, the scores that we're throwing yeah. down here for this segment are, are as high as, this is, spoilers, this is as high as it gets. Yeah. This is as, <laughs> as, as glowing as we're going to get because at the absolute worst, they were a neutral component to the story. Mm-hmm. At the their worst moment of acting, whatever you want to pick, it was neutral at, at the worst. And yeah. for a lot of it, again, I you know, I gravitated to, side characters but for a lot of it they had some really good calls on mm-hmm. who they had out there and how they did so yeah yeah it was good okay so we're moving on to the score we said nice things. the score time to talk about the score and you get to go steven oh joy uh so i gave the score a six that might be a little generous uh it, it was a little Maybe not always present. I, I made a point to go and listen to it separate just to. I think, I think we all did today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, just to, to make sure. Well, just to see, because, you know, the opening theme. Okay. Yeah. It's very games of Game of Thrones. But it, it does have a good 
feel to it. No, no, and it, it is something that will stick with you. If yeah. You, if you if you don't hit skip intro on you know Amazon Prime, which we don't. I, I did after I watched it a couple of times, but you are a disgrace. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good enough to not be skipped. Sorry. Uh, but, but the, the graphics themselves are actually fantastic. You no, know, the weaving the weaving that they did. They you know what there was a fair bit of budget there. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was good. The, the music overall is kind of a little too generic fantasy. Yeah, and kind it, just, of a, it just kind of felt like it existed. It's got kind of an Inya vibe to a lot of it, <laughs> uh, which which can work well sometimes, but if, if it's not in the right place, it's not going to work. It just, you know. Uh, and I just only think, I think of when I think of Enya is just, may it be. <laughs> <laughs> but see, it works there. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, fellowship is broken up and they're all sad and, yeah. and anyways. But yeah. So, and, you know, it, it did kind of feel, I guess, maybe like they picked a little too, they tried to kind of straddle that line of Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Versus kind of going out on their own. So, and it just, there were bits and pieces in at moments like when they go into a uh, shadow Logoth where you can actually pick up some of the scores kind of building the tension or mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. and, and even in episode eight, the, the, the quote unquote big battle, haha, uh, <laughs> they had a lot, they had, you know, it was going right. It, they had the tensity going, or tensity, tension tensity. Going. the tensity was there. Let me tell you boys. I am uh, your tensity. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he like the ruler of one of the other borderlands or anyways, uh, Wow, you totally missed that. No. I am your density. Oh, I don't, I don't. Back to the future. Back to the future. Whatever. Yeah, that's <laughs> going right past me. I'm sorry, guys. I can't help you with that one. Anyway, um, it just it was just there. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it existed. Yeah, I mean, you know, six, it was it was not awful. It, it didn't was, offend you. It was slight it, was, it had it had a few moments, you know, that where you were like, yeah. Oh yeah, that that's music. They're playing music. <laughs> I may not be a smart man, but I know what music is. Oh yeah, and then, <laughs> yeah. And then Tom picked up the guitar, and I knocked like three points off the score. Uh, anyways, uh, Joel. Uh, no, I'm actually going to deflect this and get Andrew to go next. Oh, okay, Andrew. Um, I gave it a five because okay. it existed. It didn't. It didn't really <laughs> offend me in any way. I like the opening, and I listened to the whole whole soundtrack today in preparation for this, and. Yeah, it's music. It's, it was music. It it had notes. So it's it's really bad, right? Because I listened to Arcane's soundtrack before we recorded that mm-hmm. episode, and that one I could pick out points that oh yeah, they played this during that, right? Yep. Wheel of Time. I kept having to go back to the comment or the 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 the, the, the track titles. Yeah, just to be like, wait, wait, wait what? Where am I on minute twenty or minute twenty three? Which track is this? Where is this happening? Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, sure. Anyways, Joel. So I'm going to disagree a little bit here. And I actually gave the score an eight. I gave it an eight. I gave it an eight. Joel's got to rescue us. So I. He's trying to drag the score. <laughs> he, he remembered No Way Home. He's like, I can't. I can't let this happen. <laughs> I know how they're going to come in with twos. <laughs> so the reason I gave it that high was not so much on the user experience end, right? So from from the the basic minimums of carrying the tension of a scene or the general emotion of a scene, it did its job, right? Like it yeah. it it, yeah. it it fit you what was going tensity. on. You felt the tensity. You felt the tensity. The tensity. My tensity. All right, and <laughs> <laughs> and but 
on the re-listening, as we have been alluding to, I mm-hmm. also found it on Spotify and was listening to it today. And what I noticed was that there were a lot of technical pieces that went in there that you don't necessarily get from watching the show. Just because of mixing or right, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, it's, it's really, it uses a lot of female uh, vocals in mm. the major themes through a lot of the pieces, a majority of them, which fits in with the world building of the show because right. it's the, most of the power structures are very female dominated because of the way that the magic works. And so because they are taking elements of the music to attempt to tie it in with the world that they are building, it got extra points from me. That's, that's totally fair. So I, go. I when I, eight. when I was making my scores and I was also listening to it, I did not, really make I guess that kind of connection but I also don't have a deep understanding of the lore behind Wheel of Time I've only read book and a half and I just watched the show and I'm also looking for any opportunity to give this better mark I know you are he's he's dragging the chain out of the bog Well, you're like, well, I don't know a whole lot of the the, the lore. I wa- I read a book and a half, and I've watched the show. Like, well, one of those kind of negates the other. So, speaking of that, let's get into the plot. Okay, all downhill from here. Joel gets to start. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I gave it a four. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts me. I, I have a feeling that we're probably going to have roughly the same kind of plot yeah. choices so, here. So, I'm 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 trying to think of it in a chronological order, and the first one that jumps out is. Taviran in the two rivers being the reason that Moraine and land go there. And there's, there's a really big reason that they had to do this. And one is because they wanted a, a huge subplot of, well, who is the dragon? Who is the dragon? It could be, it could be male or female. It could be male or female. They made that change yeah, right off the bat. Um, and then they, they wanted, so they wanted as, as many different, suspects as possible for this mystery subplot right yeah and so they expanded it could be man or woman which is a fundamental change in the way the world works and they didn't have moraine tracking rand from his his birth origin right because in the book she knows where he was born there's the prophecy or or the foretelling don't they retcon that in episode seven or eight whenever they show they they show show that it happened But that's not but why Moraine went no, there. No, Moraine. So Moraine does say. I feel that. I feel that, that she is, does say she at says, some point. But, but basically, actually, basically, as soon as she sees him, she knows in the book. Yeah. Well, so she, she. But she brings the others anyway. Just in case. In, in order to obfuscate what she's doing. Well, it's. it's and, not, and oh, well, okay. at least, that's, at least in, in the terms fair. of, of the, the, the girls, she brings them because they're strong in the power and she wants to give them to she the light tower. She wants to turn them into right. light to die. Um, the, the other turn boys. Turn them into um, make them one of her. She, yeah. she, there's something that tips her off that they're important and I don't remember what it is, but basically right off the bat, she knows it's Rand. She yeah, just doesn't tell you, she just doesn't tell the reader that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty clear throughout, which I, I mean, okay, I get it. They really wanted, I don't, I don't know why they wanted there to be a mystery because well, uh, just to create tension for viewers. Oh, okay. That's fine. You create tension for viewers. And then in episode eight, it was, oh, by the way, Rans the dragon, deus ex machina shed. The wind told him that that's how he knows. <laughs> <laughs> like Moraine is just like, oh yeah, the black wind of death inside the ways told you you're the dragon. We should go with that. Let's, let's, let's head to the blight boy. Let's go. No. What in the 
you you spent so many episodes with this whole. Stephen's doing his best not to curse right now. I have, you have no idea how hard this is. <laughs> you walnuts. You <laughs> so much time building up this who could it be, and you put they put a lot of effort into the concept of could it be Perrin because the dragon's known as the Kinslayer and he killed his wife, which they also didn't set up. They, no, they but, didn't set up no, the whole but, Kinslayer thing. But a thing. lot of people nope. outside of it, as viewers, right? They yeah. were like, ooh, this well, could be it. But they know. But Okay, so it's unfair to directly compare this to the book because it is not an no, adaptation. No, 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 no. That's, that's true, but it's also like not internally consistent. No, no well, I will get to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it, it's not that they didn't follow the book. They don't have, they could do whatever they want to do. They don't have to follow the book, obviously. I mean, they did what they did, right? Yeah. But if you were going to spend all this time on a will it be, won't it be, who could it be, you could have spent so much more time on something else more interesting than six and a half, seven episodes of who could it be into, oh, by the way, it's me. I was told in a flashback last episode, let's go. Like, no, (laughs) no, like you cannot build up to that. Like, And and another one kind kind of on a parallel line to that was the whole deal with Perrin's wife getting killed in the first episode, right? Like him dealing the blow to her. And that this happened, is, yeah. this is a big trauma thing for him, which is arguably too large of a trauma thing. If you're going to have an active character mm-hmm. involved in a travel adventure. Yeah. Cause that's, that's kind of like a, uh, like a character killer. Yeah. Not like, not like characters like, Oh, you killed a character. That's literally a character. Like the person inside of yeah. you is dead. But then Time to go on an adventure boys, but, let's go. But then you get to, to like episode seven and they reveal, Oh, he was the reason that he was having trouble with his wife, which was sort of hinted at um, a little bit. They, yeah, they gave the, the, something the, that they weren't like totally great uh, was because like he had this, this, this secret Fane. love for Egwene, right? Yeah. Which they bring up at the end of episode seven and resolve at the beginning of episode eight. So it was absolutely pointless. Yeah. No, there's, there's so <laughs> much. And, and you know, maybe that ties back into the whole, they didn't get the two episodes they wanted yeah. and COVID and whatever else. But at the same time, if you were going to try to dangle this out here, like seven and eight both happen post. And if you already knew at that point, I'm not going to get my foot. Don't even put it in there. Just, just go ahead and just put the red mark through that. We don't need to worry about it. And no one will know. And then, and then you can, you can retroactively edit it out of any previous episodes that it showed up in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it does. So. And it didn't really, it didn't really come through at all. Oh, you know what? Before we get too far into other stuff, speaking of jealousy over Egwene, uh, another side character who I thought was really great, Aram. The guy playing Aram, yes, was oh yeah, that was yeah, the taker. Like, that was mm-hmm. that was one of those where it was like one. I again, based on what we know from the books, not that it maybe matters. He should show up later. Right. I hope, and I hope so because I really liked. Yeah, he was great his, casting. Yeah, like he was good, and like just his mannerisms compared to his grandparents. Yeah, was really great. The way he stood out, it was that was really well done. So, anyways, back to the plot. Literally, <laughs> uh, back, actually, back to the bashing. Let me pick up my notebook. <laughs> so much bashing he can barely lift it it's, it's heavy <laughs> heavy well what what is what is your score since we're moving around to you oh that's fair i i, I guess i could just not right it's a four it's a four yeah it's just not and the thing is i don't want to just be like well the book said you know no like it is it is an adaptation you are moving from book to visual right tv series and there are opportunities, and they took a couple, right? They did it with the madness. Mm-hmm. The way the madness was represented was really well done. There are opportunities because, I mean, let's just be frank. Jordan wrote a lot. Jordan wrote a lot. A lot. There, there yeah. are 
I don't say whole books, but there is a lot of material within books that could just disappear. And the story, core story is really unaffected. It doesn't change. Yeah. But those core pieces or even large chunks of the story, they're not in the beginning book. Mm -hmm. They're in book eight, nine, 10. Like they're, they're way down the line. So digging in and rooting out weird changes this early. And I, 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 I'm really ready for someone on the internet to sit down and go back and find. So when did Moraine actually lie? Like, you know, season three and they're like, oh, well, she said this, well, that, but that's, but this is what she did back this in season clearly. one mm-hmm. and it's a lie. And obviously you can't, cause the three oaths, just being frank for an internal consistency across the show, the three oaths are a bear to carry. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the three oaths, they exiled her with the three, oh, with the oath rod. What? What are right. you so, doing? So you have, you have a situation where she's in this trial and there's two, two main problems with the trial. You've got one the she she says to the Amerlin, I will obey your thing. One, she's already not allowed to lie. She is compelled to do what she said. And then they make her take a separate oath on the oath rod to compel her to do what she said. And so even ignoring the fact that that is completely not how the the oath rod is used in the book. Yeah. That that is internally inconsistent. Well, they, they wanted to like make it this big dramatic yeah. moment. But as soon as Moraine says, I will do as you have ordered She's now, she can't lie. Yeah. The, the oath rod already compelled her when she was made an eyes Sedai at this point. It, it tracks through and you just, poof. And then, and then the other problem with that one is that, so these are, these are all women that are adept at political machinations and they all live with the three oaths. None of them can lie outright and yet they deceive each other all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they, they have honed radars for obfuscational language, any little deviation of word or phrase mm-hmm. they pick up on immediately. Because they're all doing it. And what, what do they do for dramatic effect is that Moraine, when she's taking this, this redundant oath on the oath rod, she uses affectionate language towards Swan Sanche, just like laying out their entire connection for the entire room to understand. Hey, hey, by the way, you might worry that this could be some kind of sneaky double cross because obviously we have more going on than meets the eye. Yeah. Also the prior to that scene, the traveling dream walking. I mm-hmm. don't know it. As far as I'm concerned, they built the set for the opening of that episode and then they wanted to use it more before they burned like it the, down. In like the river hut? Yeah. yeah. They wanted to use it more before they burned it down, so they had to use it for something else. Because like, <laughs> what is going... It's, it, it's not even that you traveled up to the Emerald Seats quarters at the top of the tower, because it's blatantly not that. It's, yeah. Unless there is some serious abuse of the power going on right now for really frivolous means, which there could be, but not with these specific characters. Yeah, and, and not, not to give too many spoilers beyond book one, right? right? But but there there are items of the power that can do stuff similar to this, assuming that it is like a dream world kind of thing. Right. Uh, so they could be pulling from that, but it, we, it was not really know. explained or touched on here, which is okay. I think generally speaking, because we're from the perspective that we don't understand very much about the power because most of the characters we're following don't understand right. much about but, the power. But it was, it was this really weird thing to put in because it was this huge leap of, there's there's another you could have just met in a secret hallway yeah. or, or what and I actually from my perspective I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see the you know like Leanne being the keeper of the seals as kind of the almost like secretary mm-hmm. and I don't you know I didn't notice uh, Lauren picked up on it. I saw they had uh, Swan had the seven stripe stole yes ish 
but I didn't catch where Leanne had uh, her stole. I don't think well, they, she, they, had, she had all the of the so like she had her costume, um, like was kind of um the the top hem was a little low, mm-hmm. and like she it's a shoulderless dress that she's wearing, and most of the close ups you only see like an inch or two of fabric anyway. Yeah, and so it was hard. It was hard to get any Which, sort of detail off you know, of her they, costume. They, they hammered hard on. Her origins right. there for if you've read books and you know, you oh, yeah, she's a Dumani. You know, it, it fits with her later character, mm-hmm. even though it, she wasn't displaying it at that point. But whatever. I'm not trying to focus on Andrew's got <laughs> stuff to say. I can see it. <laughs> see, I like how this turned into um, a book discussion <laughs> when the book actually should have zero anything. No, I don't. I don't think that's true, because when you're going out to make an adaptation on some level you do have not a responsibility but an expectation placed upon you to tell the same story so you have an expectation to tell the same story however you are under no obligation one to follow that story and you are also under you you have to create a story that people like me or people like my wife can watch it mm-hmm. and still understand everything that's happening absolutely that's so fair. The when it like that's why I kind of let you guys just kind of go <laughs> sit there and talk for a minute and you guys can get it out of your system. That's totally well, fine. What you guys are doing though is you are directly comparing it with your pre your knowledge that you have of, of 13 books of history. 15. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there. I know you got something important to say. We'll stop you right there. We'll jump in. When you are making an adaptation, there is zero, zero responsibility to be truthful to the source material. However, if you choose, I have a better idea, I'm going to put it down and put it out there, it better be a better idea. Oh, I, 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 I do not disagree if, there. If you walk out onto the limb and say, look at me and my great ideas, and that limb is, is a quarter of an inch thick and you're 300 <laughs> feet up in the air, you're you're gonna fall and that's just kind of the reality well no and and i I completely agree there like if you're going to deviate from the original material in any kind of fashion you need to be able to enhance it or or create an experience for your viewers that they may not have already experienced yeah right and go ahead sorry so you know whenever you're kind of getting into this this kind of like oh well they had the sash and all that other kind of stuff that completely irrelevant it does not matter it no, that's no, true it does not it does not affect the story in any way it exactly. was it was one of those things where it was just like it would be neat to see that little it's kind of like us making a joke about the braid tugging or whatever yeah it would it's a neat nod oh absolutely to like, people who are quote unquote in the know of oh yeah and it kind of it's a reassurance right where i'm like hey i'm not sure how the story is going where we're flowing but well, these people they get it still and, like and whenever it. we whenever we talked in the arcane podcast it's like there's a lot of nods to riot and league of legends lore right, that exactly. that they kind of hinted at but it literally would not change anything if you knew or didn't know anything right about if it's not it. yeah. there it doesn't necessarily alter the story yeah. unless it can come back and bite you in subtle ways. Okay, so you guys both gave it a four. Uh-huh. And you know, because you guys have read the books, you have all this pre-knowledge of everything. We have you expectations. Have pre- preconceived notions of what it should be. I gave it a five. So not having those was... It, it helped still a little. Wasn't a little, little, little. <laughs> helped a little. So it helped, but it didn't help enough. And there are reasons for this. And basically the big reasons are the vast inconsistency 
of where characters are <laughs> at any given time. So within, I think it's episode six, maybe episode five, where Nynaeve is in one scene in the tower mm-hmm. and then quite literally cut to the next scene and she is walking into another room that is across the city yeah, with no like indication that time has passed or anything. And then they cut to another scene and then the next scene after that, she's in that, in the tower again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's also a missed opportunity, right? To really kind of showcase the city and give us a sense. There's, there's a big issue with just in general where everything, it's a really big flowing land and you can tell they've traveled distances. It feels really empty. It feels very empty. It feels very small. But the, the other big problem was, was that even just outside of characters, just teleporting land, just kind of just goes right past the big leaped a whole army big army that's coming in but that's totally fine whatever we can ignore it it's not totally fine you gave it a five the (laughs) well no no actually the reason why i gave it a five is because they did it not once but twice where they killed characters and they brought them back to life so cheap it's so it is it is a cheap emotional just gutter gut punch to just kill a character and be like actually no they're fine yeah and And like i mean you can have character resurrections if you do it right. And it has to cost something and That's it has man, to take, you? and it has to take time. Yeah. And there, from what we can tell, there is literally no consequences yeah. for uh, like in, in the first time they kind of kill characters, they technically were not dead yet. Mm-hmm. Just they, they were, they were, wounded. they were grievously yeah. wounded and Nynaeve kind of fixed it with her spirit bomb. And, <laughs> <laughs> but but in episode eight, where literally Nynaeve is dead. Yeah. And then Egwene uses the power of friendship and tears to bring her back to life from Rapunzel? clearly dead. <laughs> it was just so, it was Fox, so. The Phoenix? Yeah. <laughs> offensive. It was, it was, it was very bad. It's, no, it's cheap. You know what? I want to do it. I want to do it. We're going to talk about Star Wars real quick. No oh boy. You flew, <laughs> Every you flew the transport up so you could kill Chewie and then the next scene, Chewie's alive. How am I? And this is actually, that one is actually not as bad as this because this, you just have the unexplained, like at least that one that's, oh, well, there's another transport. And if you were really paying close attention, there were two transports yep, that landed. Yep. You had to be paying really close attention. In this, you can watch all you want and you're still just going to be like, what? What is yeah, like like she clearly died, and then just out of nowhere, going just nothing. Nothing about that sequence made narrative sense. No. It, it didn't. Um, well, it, it was just it was just so offensive as a viewer <laughs> because it makes like it's one of those things where like oh oh that just happened. I yeah. can't believe they just killed Nynaeve. She's the main character. She's in the second this is, book. Like this, this, is this is the second time that she's died. She got dragged off by a trollic at oh, the right. very start, and she's dead. Everyone's accepted she's can, dead. I can kind of accept that because I mean, if you don't see the body, nobody's dead. No, it's, exactly. it's fair. It's fair, but but emotionally for the people, it's just like we we have our friend along who just dies. Yeah, at different points, and then she comes back. <laughs> she comes how do back. you how how do we cope with this? Maybe Nynaeve is a phoenix. I mean, for all we know, well, Layla's not actually dead. She's mad she's like a phoenix. Back. Like I don't know. <laughs> That doesn't work, but <laughs> that's not how any of this works. That's how any of this works. But speaking I, of, there, I mean, there was just there, there were just so many weird things that they did, just narratively speaking on the the micro. That every time I watched it, because like I, I was actually pretty invested up to like episode four, mm-hmm. 
And episode three, I was like, oh, that was not the best battle scene. And it didn't really make that much sense, but I'll give it a pass. I mean, it had a lot of really nice world building and showing you the, yeah. the interactions with the Aes Sedai. And, stuff. and, yeah. and then the next episode, I think uh, it had a lot more with the White Cloaks, which was really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, or not cool chilling the the white cloaks are probably one of the pieces that they hit the oh just like right nail on the head like like. this is this is exactly the kind of villain who they feel they are righteous yeah in their in their quest or life or whatever and and those are the type of people who will do anything and and the torture scene with with perrin and Egwene in there like that was i mean it was was impeccably done done. Yeah. yeah So, like, you had that, and then you go to, like, two episodes of them just treading water in Tarvalon, and you have, you know, like, the weird side story with with Moraine and Swan, and then just them kind of, like, you know, obviously leaving Matt because he left the production, so mm-hmm. he couldn't follow them and continue. We didn't leave him. He left us. <laughs> are we acting right now, or are you actually mad at this guy? I'm not sure. <laughs> And, 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 you know, it just, it was just, there was just problems. Yeah. And we've already, you know, we've already talked about most of them, but I, I want to also say that it, it is unfair to directly compare it from the books. Okay. All right. Hold on. I'm not going to compare it. This is not a direct book. This is, this is a frame for frame episode eight. All right. You ready? Moraine and Rand go into the blight. Yes. They have trekked through the blight for some unknown amount of time and they come upon the dead boy. Yes. Who has been overtaken and is blah, blah, blah. Moraine, the blight is poison. Don't touch anything. Don't you think that's something you should tell the guy before you go into it? (laughs) Y'all have been brushing past these trees left and right. Well, and he's leaning against the tree. Yeah. And then they sit down and he like takes a nap. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just. Oh my gosh! There, there again, episode seven and eight where there were problems. There were a yeah. lot of problems. lots of problems. I I think had the season ended at episode six, it would have been unsatisfying, but ultimately a higher score. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I no, would yeah. have absolutely oh, no. given oh, a higher score. Yeah, absolutely. If with with seven and eight not in there, I probably would have given it maybe a, a, a average of seven. Yeah, yeah, six and a half. Or yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. it would have been a, a, a solid C grade. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I can get in here. I mean, they, you know, they did my, they did Agamal, Agamar dirty. This is just across the book compared. I know, book I know. I said, that's what I'm saying. Is I can fair. get into there and say stuff like that, but at the same time, they took pieces from the book that happened off screen. Yep, all the way back to episode one, the the burning of the place whose name I'm not allowed to pronounce. Emmonsfield. There we go. <laughs> but but that's that happens off screen in the book because mm-hmm. it's it's all it's almost all Rand's perspective. Yeah. And then I uh, you have all of the stuff with Loghain. All of that roughly similar happens. The same players aren't necessarily there, but it happens and it's all off uh screen. Yeah. It's it's out of perspective, out of narration, and we just know that it happens. And so giving us bits and pieces of that isn't necessarily bad because it technically it's a deviation, right? You just you just kind of filled in some gaps yourself and put whatever you wanted to. And it wasn't necessarily bad. And the bit with uh, Corinne's warder and, you know, him struggling with the grief, that was actually, yeah. you know, maybe a high point for the show. Like, this is really was, well yeah, done. Really good. This character killed himself. He's so sad. That was a great spot that in was, the show. That I was, it was a good okay. point. So, narratively. The, you're right. <laughs> I, like, I know. Narratively. <laughs> if, if you are coming to the table to feel things, 
then that made you feel. Oh, that no, made absolutely. you feel. Yeah. Yes. Like I was like, ooh, yeah, that's uh, that was pretty rough. Yeah. And and the 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 ritualistic public grieving scene was mm-hmm. where where Daniel Henney is is yeah. just going all out on the performance. Really, really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we we've kind of just beaten the plot yep. down into yep. absolute nothingness here. <laughs> Let's go, let's head towards the end of the show here, talk about faithfulness score and our, our any lasting organizing thoughts. Now we get to say stuff about the book. (laughs) (laughs) There's always a time for it. It's a three. It's a three. I read the book and I actually, like this, the whole first season is technically the first book. I gave it a two. That's, that's, yeah. And you don't even have any, this is not a formative media for you no yeah, it, 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 it just they ignored so many things that could have been really interesting to watch and and the thing is cutting out a lot of the travel mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally, totally fine. fine with that that is that is a book thing and they still handled some like the introduction of tom is completely different from the book yeah. it's still the keynotes are hit that need to be hit yeah, I, I wish he had more than like a quarter of an episode, but it, it would have. I mean, he was good. I would have liked him on screen more, but so it goes. But it, it hit the right stuff for yeah the book, and there's plenty of stuff to be cut out. But at some point, when you tell me that you have to cut scenes for time, understood. Jordan wrote a lot, and then I start watching, and I'm like, but we keep getting extra stuff that I didn't want. <laughs> I thought you said you didn't have enough time. Yeah, the I, I think the biggest change for me that that just kind of bothered me was now the the ending of the first book is arguably not that good, right? But it is is also it's way better than what we got. <laughs> and, and, and of all the things that, sorry, just go on. Well, I Ugh. the fact that they had to find a way. Okay, so. Th- narratively speaking, they, they were like, if you go to the eye of the world and you're not the dragon, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> that is fine. You can, you can totally, the whatever. So thank God for that. When Moraine, tell them who the dragon was. Moraine and Rand <laughs> leave. Okay. So now you have to figure out what to do with the rest of your cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is why you have this battle here, which means nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was just so infuriating not even because I'm like, why did you change it? It was like, this makes no sense because well, everyone is leaving out this one pass and everything else is coming in this yeah. one pass. And it's also, it's also interesting note, but because I have, you know, foreknowledge of the future of the books, yeah. I actually really like what they attempted to do in changing the, the climax. Okay. They didn't, they didn't execute on it very well, Yeah, but what they, what they did was more clearly set up uh, future conflicts uh-huh. mm-hmm. that 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 occur in later books, whereas when Jordan wrote the first book, he really didn't have those in mind. Yeah, and so well, this he, is this he had is a m- trilogy in mind at that point. I think he was uh, it was going to be much quicker than yeah. It I'm, was. I'm I'm unsure. I, I think it's it because he really liked Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> but but like that's the kind of change that I was really excited about. Is is how can we uh, go back and now knowing what our full scope of our attempt, our attempted storytelling is mm-hmm. how can we make everything tie together more neatly? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's one of those things because the ending of the book, first book is rough because it's a very visual, your, your perspective that you are getting is very confused mm-hmm. because it's Randy doesn't know what's going on. It's a very visual 
thing trying to be described through words. It's really hard to get across what is going on, and even what's going on is still kind of, what? So yeah. of all the, the moments where you can say, well, we adapted this for TV, and you can just say, hey, the bar is pretty low, just knock it out of the park. And no, no, we, we got World War Z Trolloc zombies crawling on the wall. <laughs> with, with, with bad... Um, with bad fortresses and poor tact. I mean, like if, if y'all knew that you were going to be able to, to draw upon some measure of the power, not, not, let's not put, you know, Neneve and, and Egwene in this, right? Yeah. Let's even just, just say with, it's just the three they had. That's a weapon that should be on a defensive point called a wall, not standing in the middle of a field. And, and even if for like historical reasons they're doing that we put the army in the forward fortress we protect the the artillery pieces in the yeah. main fortress at least put them in the main yeah, fortress the, yeah they're just standing in the middle <laughs> so of the, I'm, I'm you could have stood on the ramparts and yeah. done this you don't have to stand in the the plane well, so i'm assuming that the that the whole and this is what i gather because i don't understand what they were doing besides like okay yeah you can link the power mm-hmm. and you get more powerful i'm assuming that the reason why this is just like in universe thought is that whenever they link, the girl that is con- the main controller, the node, mm-hmm. is... The node? <laughs> the locus the, the of no- power. <laughs> the <laughs> node just doesn't have direct control over where the lightning bolts and stuff land. And it is more of a, just really. a massive AoE attack to where it's indiscriminate. But, so so, so they, 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 I don't know what the rules of the show are. They have not explained to me what the rules of the show are. The rules of the book are blatantly not what are being used. <laughs> so, well, well, but, but, but even construed on that, that's, Andrew's that, argument, that was my thought process. Right. Yeah. right. But let's, let's, let's work with it your was thought bad, process. But it's still there. <laughs> this is a massive AOE blast that we can't control. Why, why, why is why your army in front of you? Yeah. <laughs> you should be on the wall. And then the massive AOE blast you can't control only hits Trollocs. Well, what if half your army is still alive and you just nuked the fortress because you can't control well, it? See, the funny thing is, too, I say that and then I think about it. I'm like, you could have just been in the, like, in the pass, which is a much more concentrated section yeah. where yeah. all the Trollocs were, so then you could hit them easier. Yeah, and then you don't give them the opportunity to spread out. Or if you were going to stand in the middle defenses, you could just be up on the ramparts and not be like, oh, we missed a few and now I get stabbed by one of the three Trollocs I missed because I'm bad at this apparently. You know, like, <laughs> uh, it's just, they wanted it to be like this big, high... Like climactic. Climactic, yeah, like they're selling their lives out to, to save their land or whatever. And it was just, I mean, you can do that, but please don't don't just be pure stupid while doing and it. And then bring characters back to life. And okay. Then, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Joel. To, to wrap this up, I also gave this a three on faithfulness, uh, faithfulness yeah, because I mean, it just, we're, we're it just, just kind of beating it up at this point. It's like, already on the ground from, and we're just kicking it. From the first episode, from, from, like from the trailers, I they have already announced that they are deviating from established world building rules and they just kept changing things from there. So like it is... At the core of it, they are attempting to tell the same story, but they are leaving behind a lot of the things that made the story worth telling. And the the thing that I find actually pretty fascinating is the fact that this is the same company that has a very successful book adaptation TV series in The Expanse, where right. they have changed massive things and, about the story and, and all of those and all of those changes are under the heading of this is how you tell the same story in this medium 
and make it work. Exactly. And, and, and they, they executed them very well. Yeah, and it's, so and it's been do great. We, do we make the argument that that's just because somehow sci-fi was really good at this when they started the series and then Amazon just had to accept the changes? The major... No, no, there were... There were uh, I, don't, I don't know the, the moment at which... There, there really, has still been major deviations even past yeah. uh, okay. season four and beyond. Okay, I don't know. So, so uh, you know, uh, whatever. Sure I, I got nothing way. for that, but... We're, we we don't have an expanse spoiler wallet that we have warned people about. Yeah, yeah. So we're not going <laughs> to we're, we're not going to go we're not going to dig into that. Yeah, sorry. sometime in the future ish. All right. Well, on that note, final dig, final dig, and it's not really a dig. <laughs> it's just something to float out there based on our faithfulness scores. So Brandon Sanderson, who is the second author, the guy who was tapped to finish the series, mm-hmm. and he is a, a some kind of advising producer. He doesn't get any kind of final say, but he's there. He's a reference has said that he views this as a another turning of the wheel. So it is not the exact turning of the wheel that Jordan told. Yep. That it is a, a different time that they have been spun out of the wheel for this story to happen. And I think we have shown that by giving it a three, a three, and a two, that we agree with that assessment. Mm-hmm. So on that note, <laughs> that is all the time that we have for this episode. So until next time, I'm Stephen. I'm Andrew. And I'm Joel. And every spoiler was intended. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, you can support the show for as low as $1 at patreon.com slash spoilers intended podcast. We also have a discord server and would love to have more people joining in the conversation. Links are in the description below. Thank you.